morning, church. Take your Bibles, turn again, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Thank you, Brother Scott. Directing our hearts toward the love of Jesus. That's what I want to speak to you about this morning. I'm going to do something that I, today that I don't normally do. I don't usually preach theme messages. I don't feel compelled to preach a message tied to every holiday that rolls around. But I believe, I believe that Bible exposition is the way to go. But today, given that Valentine's Day falls on Sunday, I thought I would preach on the subject of biblical advice on love. The 13th chapter of Corinthians is the finest description of love that exists. And although 1 Corinthians 13 is often referred to as the love chapter, the love that is being described here is not romantic love. God chose to record the New Testament in Koine Greek. He did so for a reason. Koine Greek is a rich language that has vivid ways of <clears throat> emphasizing and describing various events. For example, love. In the English language, we have one word, love. I love my wife, I love my dog, I love chocolate chip cookies. Hopefully not on the same level, all of those, but I have no way of distinguishing what kind of love that I'm talking about. The Greek language has four different words for love. Those words are agape, phileo, eros, and storge. Phileo, one of those that does occur in the Bible, emphasizes the affection, the emotion, a fondness that one person has for another. It's the word, it is the root for the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. Eros refers to love between a husband and wife, but it is more than just sexual ecstasy. It also includes embracing, longing, caring, and stergo, which is primarily refers to love between parents and children, did not occur at all in the New Testament. The most important word for us, of course, is agape. Agape is the God kind of love. It is the translation of the word love found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him did not perish but have everlasting life. This is the most common word of love used in the New Testament, occurring some 259 times. The word that is used in 1 Corinthians 13 is the word agape, and it is best described as unconditional love. The love which Paul speaks of is a behavior we exercise even when we don't feel lovable or loving. I want to begin this morning by looking at what love is. Paul says, love suffers long and is kind. So, first of all, love is patient. It suffers long. He uses two words in this verse, and both of them are action words. Paul is not talking about love as some kind of a warm, affectionate feeling, but rather saying that love is something that you see in action. 
The first characteristic that he lists is that love is patient. The Greek word that is used here is always used in the New Testament to describe patience with people rather than with circumstances. It doesn't mean to feel patient, but rather to act patiently. It is a word that literally means to be inconvenienced, yet to endure. And not to want to strike back when you are inconvenienced. One of the greatest stories of patience is the story of Abraham Lincoln. One of Abraham Lincoln's earliest political adversaries was a man by the name of Edward Stanton. He called Lincoln a low, cunning clown and the original gorilla. So you think things get rough in our day. He said it's ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla. They only have to go to Springfield, Illinois to see Mr. Lincoln. Lincoln never responded to that insult. But when he became president, he needed a secretary of war and he chose Edward Stanton. His friends were amazed and they asked Lincoln why. And Lincoln replied, because he's the best man for the job. Years later, as the president's body was laying in state after his assassination, it is said that Stan looked down into the coffin and said through his tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. His animosity had been broken by Lincoln's long-suffering non-retaliatory spirit, patient love won out. Secondly, it tells us that love is kind. This description is a description of active goodness that goes forth on the behalf of others. Love acts in a way that is useful and gracious. If we apply that to the marriage relationship, we have to understand that Sometimes you'll be stressed out. Sometimes you'll be frustrated. Sometimes you might want to give in to harsh criticism when your spouse does something that you consider to be foolish or hurtful. But remember that love is patient and kind. Secondly, I want you to look with me at what love is not, beginning in the second part of verse 4. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. First, he says love is, is not envious, or love does not envy. Envy is when someone wishes they have what another person has. It can be a possession. It could be a talent. It could be a job, it could be a house, it could be a family, it could be appearance, or even a spiritual experience. We tend to think of envy as a small, inconsequential thing. But it is not because it was envy that caused Cain to murder his brother Abel. And it was envy that caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Envy at its worst reveals itself when we start diminishing the accomplishments of another or when we rejoice, when we learn that that person is struggling 
or when we actually do or say something to undermine that person's success. We're most likely guilty of envy when we find ourselves unable to celebrate with those who have had something good happen to them or when we begin to diminish the accomplishments of somebody else or when all our talk is negative or it's qualified by a positive which is well he's certainly a nice person but he looks like he buys his clothes at goodwill it's actually a put down in disguise we dislike someone because they're attractive or because they're popular or because they're accessible, even though we have a hard time admitting this is why we don't like them. We relish hearing about the fall or the failure of someone who has spent time in the spotlight. Or we are upset because someone, and perhaps even in the church or in our family, seems to be getting more time and attention than we are. Even in marriage, we sometimes try to make ourselves look better than we really are. We may even criticize and put down our partner in an effort to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Of course, such behavior in marriage, what it produces is unproductive and even destructive. I would suggest an alternative which would be much more worthwhile and enjoyable, and that's to be proud of each other, to never expect of each other perfection, which we can never attain, to learn to minimize each other's weaknesses and praise and magnify each other's strength. Paul also tells us that love is not proud. Love does not parade itself and it is not puffed up. Real love does not brag about its sacrifices or draw attention to itself or what it is doing. A person who has to be the center of attention and who is hurt when they are not is not walking in love. Love is not rude. The Bible says does not behave rudely or to avoid arrogance and rudeness. Love always treats others with compassion and respect. Love controls its moods not friendly one day and distant the next day. Paul knows that sometimes we treat those that we love with less courtesy even than we do with a stranger. We may take our spouses for granted. Occasionally, we may be even rude to them in private. And Paul would urge that we strive to treat our spouses with reverence and respect just like we would want them to treat us. He also says that love is not selfish, does not seek its own. Love does not consider itself first. It is actively interested in what would be of help to others. Perhaps the hardest to practice of all the ideals that Paul holds up is love does not insist upon its own way. If you're in a relationship, there will be times in that relationship with each other that one or both of you will insist on having your own way. Such behavior is present in almost every relationship, but it is not helpful. Marriage is intended to be a journey in which me and my is replaced by us and ours. Love is not irritated. 
It is not provoked. It's worthy of consideration that it's this sin that prevented Moses from entering the promised land. He was provoked. The Greek word translated not provoked can also be translated easily angered. It means to be aroused to anger. Now, anger is not always bad. Notice our text does not say that a loving person is never angered. It says that we are not to be easily angered. Paul in Ephesians tells us to be angry but not sin. So when is anger sin? Anger is sinful when it causes us to feel ill will toward another person. Anger is sinful when it is without a cause. And anger is sinful when it is disproportionate to that which is going on. Is it justified? Now, there are two wrong ways that people respond to irritating and stressful situations. First of all, we could explode. Some seek to justify their explosive anger by saying, yes, I sometimes lose my temper, but it's all over in a few minutes. So is, so is a nuclear bomb, but it leaves a great deal of destruction in that short time. A second incorrect way to respond to anger is just the opposite. We stuff our anger and we stew about it. Some people actually say nothing at the time that they get angry, but they stew on it for weeks, months, maybe even the rest of their life. When you stuff your anger, it will come out in other ways, and anger that is not dealt with will turn into bitterness. Paul tells us that love is not irritable nor resentful. I'm just going to take a leap into the dark here and say we most of us struggle with that reality. Rather than being pleasant, we are sometimes easily irritated or angered. Rather than politely answering a simple question of a spouse, we respond by being sharp or defensive. Now, I don't suffer with that problem, but my dear wife does. Just a little joke, dear. (laughs) Honestly, it's the other way around. I realize that especially when I'm tired and I'm sick, which seems to be a lot of the time lately, I can be sharp and defensive, and I really have to guard my heart against that. I believe that Paul would urge us all that when we fail to live up to this ideal, we avoid making excuses for our behavior and simply admit that we are wrong. However, if we both live by this advice, there will be peace in our home. He also says that love does not hold a grudge. It keeps no record of offenses. It says he thinks no evil. There's a word here that translates store up, and it is a word that an accountant would use or a bookkeeper. It's used as entering items in a ledger so that they will not be forgiven, forgotten. And that's precisely what people do sometimes. There are many marriages and other relationships that are handicapped or destroyed because of the past. 
One man said to a counselor, every time we have a discussion, my wife gets historical. The counselor said, do you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything I've ever done wrong. And we can all do that if we're not very careful. When we forgive someone, it's not somehow miraculously erased from our memory. But we decide that we will not allow what has happened in the past to affect us in the present. He also says that love does not rejoice in evil. Love does not rejoice in sin, one's own sin or the sin of others. Love does not rejoice when other people fall into sin. Third, what love does. Here he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The The verb that is translated bears here can also be translated to cover or to protect. When you hear gossip about somebody else, do you, do you rise to their defense, and at least by saying, well, we need to understand there, there are two sides to every story? Or do we lean in closer so that we can get every part of the nitty-gritty details? Paul or Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love always places the best possible interpretation on everything that happens. Love trusts that good will triumph. Love hopes all things. When he was an old man, the master painter Henry Matisse was crippled by arthritis. Wrapping his fingers around a brush was very painful. Painting was agony. And someone asked him why he kept pain. He answered, the pain goes away, but the beauty endures. That's hope. Love also endures all things. Paul sums up his beautiful description of love with these words. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, love never gives up. It hangs in there. It holds on And you can count on it. This is the kind of love that you have to have for each other, especially in a marriage relationship, love that can be trusted. When we love agape style, we demonstrate the self-sacrificial love of Jesus that made him willing to leave his heavenly throne to die on a cross for our sins. While we were still sinners, when we were at our worst, when we were our most unlovable. Someone has suggested the best way to evaluate your own walk in love is to substitute the word I for every time the word love or it occurs in this passage. In other words, can you say, I am patient, I am kind, I do not envy, I do not boast, I am not proud. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrong. I do not delight in evil, but I do rejoice with truth. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope and I always persevere in my relationship with others. 
Now that may sound a little bit far-fetched by the time we get to the end because there is a lot of work involved. Fourth and finally this morning, love's enduring character. First part of verse 8 says, and love never fails. And then verse 13 says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. When Paul says that the greatest of these is love, he's saying love is greatest because it continues and it even grows in heaven. When we're in heaven, faith and hope will have fulfilled their purpose. We won't need faith because we'll see God face to face. We won't need hope for the coming of Jesus because he has already come to receive us. But we will always love the Lord and each other and grow in that love throughout eternity. Let me conclude this story this morning. There was a man who had only an eighth grade education. But this man wanted to be a soul winner. God had laid a brilliant attorney on his heart. And so obeying the Lord, he went to talk to this lawyer about Jesus Christ. But no sooner had he begun than when the attorney used his legal training and his brilliant mind to turn that man inside out. The man finally apologized for coming and for taking up the attorney's time. He left with tears in his eyes as he said to the lawyer, Well, I just want you to know that I came because I love you. Dejected, he went home to his wife and he said, I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to talk to anybody for the rest of the day. I just want to go into my room and be left alone. I feel like such a failure. About an hour later, the lawyer came and knocked on the man's door. He told the man's wife that he'd like to see her husband. She replied, I'm sorry, but he's not seeing anyone today. The lawyer replied, oh, I think he'll see me. Just tell him who I am. So the husband allowed the attorney to come into the room, and he said, why have you come? Have you come to make fun of me? Have you come to argue with me again? You know I can't argue with you. The lawyer said, no, I haven't come to argue with you. I've come to ask you to tell me how to be saved. The man replied, I don't understand. What changed your mind? Every time I tried to tell you about Jesus, you came up with an argument that I couldn't answer. Well, the lawyer said, yes, I did, but you came up with an argument that I couldn't answer. The man looked at him and said, and what was that? The lawyer replied, when you looked at me and told me that you loved me, I couldn't argue with that. Nothing will win the victory over others and over our circumstances Like love, it is love that makes the difference. Not an emotional, warm, fuzzy feeling, but an agape love put into practice. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us with that unconditional love. That you loved us at our most unlovable stage in our lives. That you died for us even while we were yet sinners. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your sacrifice for us. And we're grateful to be able to be called to be representatives of you on this planet Earth. Help us to reach out to those around us with the God kind of love. The 
The kind of love that produces action. The kind of love that shows people that we have been changed by an experience with a living God. If there's one here today that has never faced up to their sin, recognize that they are sinners and they can't save themselves, then Lord, I pray that you'd help them this morning to understand that. I pray they'd turn in repentance to you today and ask that Jesus would save them because he's already done everything necessary by paying for their sins on the cross of Calvary and all they need to do now is accept that payment. If there's one here that needs to do that, then Lord, I pray that you'd help them right now, right here in this place, to know that they can change their eternity. And they can know that they're going to have a place in heaven by having established a relationship with Jesus. Father, we ask that you'd speak to each of our hearts. Some of us have been saved for many, many years, but we need to be reminded once again of your great, great love for us. And we want to rejoice in that love this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?